Hey, this is Pastor Rima, and you are listening to Real Talk. Before you do another thing, I want you to go ahead and take this link, share it with two friends, and while you're at it, go ahead and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Pastor Rima. Real issues for real people. Hey, God bless you. This is Pastor Rima, and this is Real Talk. We are on the line with a prolific preacher, minstrel. He's uh, impacted the kingdom for quite some time and doing awesome things in ATL, Atlanta. I want to introduce you to Court Chavis. And not really an introduction. Most of you already know him and uh, admire his walk with God. But I, I'm, I'm so thankful to be on the call with him today. And he's going to share some stuff with us. God bless you, Pastor Chavis. And what an honor to be here, bro. Thank you for allowing me to, to be here. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak. I'm excited. I've, I've admired your ministry for uh, quite some time. I think the first time I was exposed to your ministry, I was, I was still in Bible college and uh, traveling uh, with a mutual friend of ours and see you uh, leading worship. Yeah. And, uh, man, you did so good one night. They just started having you every night. For, for, <laughs> I think it was a general conference, man, and you pretty much led the whole general conference in worship, and it was just incredible. It was awesome. And uh, that was my first exposure to uh, Court Chavis. But little did I know that uh, and the man and the man can preach the pain off the walls. And uh, I'm so thankful to be able to have him on this platform to speak to you today. Uh, so, Pastor Chavis, kind of give us a, a brief background of where you're from, um, what, what your upbringings were. Yeah, man. Um, I was raised in a little uh, town called Spring Lake, North Carolina. And people may be more familiar with Fort Bragg, which is like the, the, one of the biggest military installations in the world. And uh, so I was raised right there. I was born in Lumberton, um, which I am a member of the Lumbee tribe. That's L-U-M-B-E-E for those who want to look it up. Okay. Uh, for the, you know, and I was born in Lumberton, like kind of, you know, where my people are from. And then, but I, but I was really small when I moved to Spring Lake. I was like maybe three or four, somewhere around in there. So I was, I was tiny, you know, so I tell everybody I was raised in Spring Lake cause I, cause I was, um, had a great family. My dad went to, um, my, to help my grandfather, which was my mom's dad, uh, with a church there in Spring Lake, small church. And then after a couple of years of helping my grandfather, the, my grandfather turned the church over to my dad and then he moved back to Ohio and my dad um, you know, pastor that church there. I think, you know, when I was just a kid, I remember it being somewhere like 20, between 25 and maybe 30 people. Um, but man, my dad grew a great church there. And, and, and that's where I was raised. I was raised, um, in a, you know, Spring Lake United Pentecostal church. It's called United now, United, uh, Pentecostal church to Spring Lake. So, um, that's kind of where I got my, you know, start in ministry there at that church, my local church. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll pause right here to let everybody know that, you know, a long time before I did anything, like you were saying, like a general conference or whatever, a long time I did any of that stuff. And I was just operating in my local church. That's where I found my gifting. That's where I found my anointing. That's kind of where I found my purpose. Just right in the local church. And the local church is so important to me uh, because of that, because I would not be who I am today. I would not be doing what I'm doing right now if it had not been for my local church at Spring Lake. And my dad and mom, great parents, 
very, very musical. My mom plays piano, writes songs. My dad plays guitar, writes songs. When I was a kid, wow. some of my earliest memories are uh, being in my mom and dad's recordings. They they had like a little group called the Jeff Chavis Trio. On, and, and, you know, they, that's some of my earliest memories, being at those little recordings that they recorded in the church and stuff like that. And uh, so, you know, I had, had an introduction to music very young. Um, I wrote my first song when I was nine. My mom thought it was a joke. And, you know, she was like, well, okay, babe, sing me the song. So I sang the song to her and she was like, you know, where did you hear that? You know, at, you know, I was like, I, I wrote it. And so, um, and then I, I traveled around with them a lot, uh, as a small kid, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, just, they would do ministry. I'd go with them. I'd sing, you know, whatever. My brother Brock played drums at that time. My brother Kyle, who is the most gifted of all of us, you know, he wasn't doing anything at that time. He was just kind of just hanging out. Um, but now he's, you know, bass player, guitar player, you know, piano player, worship leader, extraordinary kid, kids <laughs> of beast. Um, but you know, he, you know, he really didn't have, you know, kind of like me, he didn't have a choice. Like it was an option. It was just like, it's what we did. You know, ministry was what we did. Um, going to church is what we did. Um, you know, and so all through my young teenage years, I was in church. I was, you know, operating in ministry, um, around the age of 14, the guy who led our worship, um, he, he wasn't like a worship pastor, but he would just lead the worship like on Sundays and Wednesdays he moved. And, um, and so I had been leading some songs in the, in the youth, uh, class and, you know, the youth pastor had told my dad, it's like, man, court like really does good at just leading our kids. And, and, and of course, you know, it wasn't like it is today. It wasn't like I was doing Hillsong Bethel, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was like, we were singing from the hymn book. Like that's, that's how long ago this was. We were, you know, Oh, I want to see him. Oh, the blood, you know, power in the blood, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's where we're at. Grassroots. Yeah. Grassroots, man. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an old soul, but I'm not really an old person. Um, but man, you know, it, it hasn't been that long ago that we were singing from the hymns. And so my dad was like, Hey, we need someone to lead the worship. Could you lead at church? And, and, and I, you know, of course being young and just doing my dad said, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll do everything you need to do. And so, you know, on Sundays I started leading worship. And of course, you know, back then it was more like I would come up and I would say, all right, everybody, we're singing page one, page 369 and pray in page, you know, 300. And then everybody would turn in those, to those pages that, you know, people would have, you know, people would come to church with paper clips and clip the page. Wait, yeah, listen, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta explain all this. Cause these youngest nowadays don't know what that is, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we had a hymn book. And so everybody had a hymn book. We had hundreds of hymn books just sitting in the pews. And then, uh, the back of the pew had like a little, uh, book spot. People would just put their hymn books there. And some people would have their own hymn books, man. If you tell someone's hymn book that they have been had already got marked and stuff, bro. You would be, you would be in a fight. You'd be, there'd be fisticuffs in there. You know, you just, <laughs> my, that's my hymn book. Uh, and what was crazy is everybody in the congregation had brown hymn books and it said, sing unto the Lord. It was brown, but I had a white hymn book with the, and the letters were gold, you know, sing unto the Lord. Yeah. And so that's the, the leader had a white one. Everybody else had a brown. That's, that, that's so crazy to me now, but that's how it was. Clean. Everybody would open the book up, you know, we'd sing, you know, and it wasn't like I was leading worship, like I lead worship today, or even like when you met me and you were introduced to my, to my, you know, worship leading or whatever, it was a whole different style. But during that season, I kind of changed up like what we were doing. There were a couple people in my life, John Broyles, and I'll just say these names because, you know, to me, they're important. Um, John Broyles, who was from our church, um, Wilbert Blandon, and I know you may have met, but oh, wow. Wilbert Blandon, and there was a guy from South Carolina named Mark Johnson. And 
they would lead worship uh, excitedly, you know, like other people didn't do that. They would just get up and sing the song, but they would like be exciting and they would kind of minister, you know, as the song was going, they would minister in between. And that's kind of where I got that feel from. And of course, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make myself sound like a trendsetter, but, but in the movement, no one did that. We just sang the songs. No one, no one said anything. No one tried to encourage worship. It was just like, we get up and sing the song. That was it. And that was fine because it was, there was no other option than that. So it wasn't like, you know, um, you know, just that people didn't do it and, and people didn't want to get involved with that kind of worship style. It was just, it wasn't done. Yeah. And so I kind of developed my own little way of worship, watching those guys and seeing how like brother Blandon, uh, especially like brother, brother Blandon is not a good singer. He can sing, but he's not a great vocalist, but man, that dude could take a church and get us upside down with just like power in the blood, you know, because the way that he would just encourage worship and the way he would lead people. And so I started, you know, doing that same thing. I started kind of, um, you know, leading and, and people really enjoyed it. And then this was the season that we started to shift a little bit. This was the season that we would do a couple hymns, you know, like as I got a little older, we would do like a couple hymns, but then we would do like, um, you know, something that wasn't necessarily a handle, but it was like, we considered it Pentecostal music, yeah. you know, you know, stuff like that. And, and, you know, some of the older songs of, um, you know, how I, just trying to remember a few of them, you know, like, like I choose to be a Christian. I choose to be like him, you know, that Dan Dean stuff. And, and, uh, and then we were, you know, we would do stuff like, um, uh, we got the eye of a tiger. We're starting the fire, you know, and we would, you know, sing songs like that. And, and those, um, or, you know, um, you know, this is, you know, we sing this now, but we sing it in a different style, but back, back, way back in the day, we would sing, um, can't stop. Praising his name, I just can't stop praying. Yeah. And bro, when we went to that kind of stuff, like on a Sunday night, bro, shut oh. down. Pandemonium. You know, pandemonium, exactly. So <laughs> around 16, I began to kind of like direct the choir. We had a choir director that had kind of stepped down, and my dad was like, you know, we need a choir. You know, I want the choir to sing. So we started singing, like, we were singing like Colorado Mass stuff, Mississippi Mass, um, Hezekiah Walker, old school stuff, Orlando, um, Blue, you know, um, Orlando uh, Draper. Um, John P. Key, a lot of John P. Key in North Carolina. Clap your hands like you're from Durham, North Carolina. You know, we we you know did all, a lot of that stuff. Like Jesus is real, I know the Lord. And so we had like you know like a really good choir, and we were like one of the first churches in North Carolina to have that kind of like dope choir effect, you know. And so uh, now I will digress a little bit to you know just to just to you know to interject this. And though in that season of my life, I was really used by God. I, I knew that I was anointed. Like it was like prevalent. And yeah, people no across the church, like evangelists and different preachers would come to our church and they would be like, I've never heard anything like this. Like, this is amazing. Like, man, you got, you got a gift, blah, blah, blah. You know, but at the same time, as God was using me at the same time I was anointed, bro, I was having a battle mm. in myself, like a spiritual battle, man. I, 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 um, I had really no walk with God, um, outside of that pulpit experience and, uh, you know, raised by good mom, good dad, you know, had no kind of, you know, trouble in the home, but man, some stuff had happened to me when I was a small kid that, you know, I, I literally last year finally told my mom and dad what happened to me. I, I was 40 years old when I told my mom and dad kind of what I went through 
as a nine-year-old boy, eight, nine years old. Um, they had no idea. Of course, I never told anybody because it was embarrassing. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was bad. It was horrible. And I felt like if I would have told them those things, it would have ruined the family um, because it was family members that, you know, connected to it. Um, so, you know, you can read between the lines and all that, but man, I, I had this mental battle going on, bro. I was depressed sometimes. I, I had a problem with authority that kind of bled over mm. into my, like my high school. So I would like lead worship on Sundays and be fired up, you know, ages like 16, 17, be fired up for God, man, shout around the church. But on Monday, man, I go to school, just be bad, smoke weed, just do stupid stuff, you know? Mm. Um, and, I, and I was testing the limits and, um, I think that it was harder for me, uh, brother Rima, because when you open yourself up to the spirit realm, you're just open up to the spirit realm. Every yeah. spirit is in that realm. And so I would get up on Sundays, man, and just de- develop myself in the spirit realm. But then on Monday I had no covering, you know, mm. to, you know what I'm saying? And so I would just be, man, the enemy would just bombard me with thoughts, ideas, hatred, bitterness. I hated the, the people that had hurt me. Um, really, you know, I, and I have a huge problem with authority, man. I got kicked out of school so many times, you know, fighting and whatever. You know, my dad came to pick me up one time. I was sitting between two state troopers. You know, here he is trying to, you know, pastor a church in this city, but his kid is like, you know, they got to call the cops to the school because of me. You know, and, and, and so I went through this struggle, man, about 17, 18, bro. I just kind of quit, man. I was like out, I was totally backslid, went to college, um, did a year of, uh, regular college in, um, in, uh, Pembroke, North Carolina, which is where, where my people are from. Um, and so I had family there and stuff too, man. I just wild, bro. Just being really, really dumb. And then right, right before I turned 20, I was 19, right before I turned 20, I overdosed. And, um, I didn't really like overdose, overdose, as we would say it today. You know what it was, I was messing around with the wrong people and we were smoking and they gave me some stuff. They didn't tell me they were giving it to me. And it was like a joke and bro, it almost killed me. Um, you know, it was a horrible night in my life. I thought I was dying, you know, numerous occasions. Um, and then, you know, they probably should have took me to the hospital, but they were terrified. So they just like left me in the parking lot of, of the school, of the college. Wow. Um, you know, they were afraid they were going to get in trouble. So they just like dumped me. And then some people found me and basically saved my life. Um, and I probably should have went to the emergency room that night, but I didn't. And, um, but man, after that, bro, I just, honestly, brother Rima, I just gave my life to the Lord, man. I, that, that experience like changed me as far as like what I wanted to do. And like, I knew that if I didn't get my life right with the Lord, that I was not going to live. Like, cause I was just so wild. I knew, you know what? I, I'm running from the call of God in my life. I'm running from what I know God wants me to do. So around the age of 20, man, I just, I just jumped all in, bro. Both feet gave my life to the Lord. And then I, you know, because I had messed my school and stuff up, I joined the military. I joined the army. Of course it was really easy for me, man. I lived on Fort Bragg. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, it was right there. I joined the army. I joined National Guard just so I could get um, like some college money and stuff. And so I joined National Guard, I went through that. Um, I married Amanda, you know, my wife, which is, you know, the second greatest decision of my life um, outside of receiving the Holy Ghost and giving my life to the Lord. Marrying Amanda was uh, number one, bro. It, you know, next to that, it was, you know, I, I knew that she was a good girl. I knew that she was uh, saved and I knew that she would be good for me. And I knew that my life would be involved in ministry. And so I married her. And, uh, it was just a wise decision. Of course she's beautiful and all the good things. So 
that helps as well. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And uh, bro, that that season of my life, man, was just a, now looking back on it, it's a blur, man. But mm. it was um, it was very trying times for me. And 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 here's the deal, Rima. Like my parents, like they always wondered what was wrong with me. They always wondered, like because like my brothers. You know, they got in trouble like everybody else gets in trouble, man. But I'm talking about I got in trouble, trouble, like a cop trouble, like, you know. Smoking like, weed trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in trouble, bro. I was a troublemaker and I was in trouble. I was wild. And so my parents always were like, man, what's wrong with court? Like, you know, but, you know, they found out clearly last year when I was 40 years old, I sat down with them and had a, you know, a conversation. And the reason I had the conversation with them is because the Lord had been telling me to, to talk about it and, wow. to, you know, encourage other people. And so I didn't want them to find out any other kind of way. I wanted them to hear from me. And so that's why I did that. But man, the military was good for me. It calmed me down. It, it, it gave me a new respect for, you know, um, authority, having an umbrella over you, understanding chain of command, all those things. It brought some solidarity into my life, a system of, hey, get up early, get your stuff done, focus on what you got to focus on, discipline. I didn't have any discipline. So it started, it began to discipline me and things like that. Man, around 22, the Lord started dealing with me about, you know, evangelizing. And here's the deal with the room. I didn't preach, which is wild. You know, like wow. I, didn't. I was just a singer. And so I, I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what this is. You know, like, I don't understand this. Well, I, I started fasting. I, t- I told Amanda about it. We started fasting and, uh, and an evangelist came to our church, um, brother Johnny Garrison. So some people may know brother Johnny Garrison, great prophet of the Lord. I uh, used to, uh, you know, be a missionary in Africa. And man, just has an incredible walk with God. He was preaching on a Sunday morning and he just stopped preaching. And well, first of all, he was preaching about, you know, going and and evangelizing and preaching and all the stuff. He was, you know, really getting into that, you know, the call of God is on your life. The call of God is on your life. And the Lord spoke to me and said, go. Like I heard, I heard it audible, go. One of the only times in my life, the Lord has spoke to me in such a way that I literally looked around to see who said that to me. Wow. You know, well, when I... I kind of looked around like, what was that? And then I turned back around and I realized that Brother Garrison had stopped preaching. And he was like out in the crowd preaching. And he was just like walking towards me. And I was like, what is he doing? And of course the whole church is watching, you know, like, what is, what is this man doing? He like stopped mid-sentence. And he came to me and he said, um, I heard that. You know, he's like in the microphone. He's like, I heard that. And I said, man, I said, what? What did you hear? He said, the Lord told you to go. And when he said it, he said it so loud, I heard it. And man, it, it, it wrecked me. Of course, you know, he laid hands on me, laid hands on the man, but we just like a puddle of, you know, a puddle of tears in the floor, just, you know, you know, revelation, validation, all those things, man. I knew, I knew it already, man, but God just like took all the questions out of my heart. But man, you know, here's the deal. You know, even with that amazing moment, my dad told me no, you know, I mean, he didn't say no, but he, you know, it was like, not right now, not right now. He told me no for six years. How about it? You know, like, like when people saw me at general conference, I was like, I was like 26, 27. That that happened when I was like 21, 22, Mm. you know, and I went through a season of just being at my dad's church, man, focusing on the music there, being a local, you know, help. And I'm I'm not going to lie, man. Some days I was bitter. I remember, you know, asking my wife, like, did that really happen? Did that, did brother Garrison really say that to me? Like, you know, like I, I, I had self doubt, you know, whatever. Um, but you know, having a pastor who was wise is probably one of the greatest things that you can do in your life is submit yourself to a man of God and don't do nothing until he says do it. 
And in that season, I, I, I learned how to preach in that season. I grew in that season. I, you know, um, that's the season I was 20, when I was 25, I went to Iraq and I served a year of combat wow. in Iraq. Um, and so that changed my life completely. My and when I came home from Iraq, when I came back from Iraq, I didn't even want to preach, man. When I came back from Iraq, I was just so happy to be alive, man. Cause I was in a, I was in combat for a year, for a year of my life, man. We were bombed, shot at all the crazy stuff, you know, all the movies, whatever you want to think about, man. It was, it was a wild, wild, crazy time for me. I spent the whole year of 2004 in combat in Iraq. And it was crazy, man. I never thought I would experience anything like that for sure. But the Lord worked on me during that time. And I developed a, you know, ridiculous walk with God. Of course, you know, when you get shot at, of course, you're going to start. <laughs> <laughs> you got to you know, stay man. low. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Lord. You stay, you stay low. Man, stay hey, let me, hold on. Help me unpack this, man. You, you get a explicit call not just a call to ministry, but you get an explicit call to go and fulfill a mission for God and confirmed in the same moment by a man of God that's preaching, stops in his tracks, makes a beeline to you and your wife, confirmed what you just heard, and then you're in waiting. And in the midst of all of that, thinking about, okay, when is this going to be fulfilled? How is this going to happen? you're going overseas to get shot at. Walk, walk us through those emotions, man. Like, like you, yeah. you, you, should, you could be at like in Iraq in, in the barracks, like, what am I doing here? Like, how, how does that, how's the, how did that feel to you? Oh, I did, man. I did, bro. I went through the, the roller coaster of emotions and questions that I had for God were bananas. Okay. Were bananas. Um, so, um, I'm developing, uh, I, I, I preach a message called finding Gethsemane and I'm developing a book right now that I'm going to write about this message because it just changed my life. But in Gethsemane, Jesus really got honest with, with, with God, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, the flesh of Jesus, the, the humanity of yeah. Jesus really had a tough conversation with God. And the tough conversation was this. I don't want to do this. No way. Like, like if there, if there's any way I can get out of this, get me out of this. And I had those conversations with God, like from the very beginning of, you know, me getting the, the information that, Hey, we're, you know, you know, we just got slotted to go to Iraq. I was like, nah, nah, no way. You know, God's, God's using me. And here's the deal, man, is doors had begun to open for me. They had invited me to come and lead worship at, um, uh, the music conference at, at Gateway. It was Gateway at the time, Urshan yeah. now. And then like Brother Cunningham had asked me to come do some events for him, like lead some worship at some of his events because him and my dad were really close. And uh, and I was like feeling the count. I was feeling like the doors open and then slam, like it did just wow. like, like they, here, here comes an army saying you're going to Iraq. And like, I felt like, I felt like I was being attacked, man, by the enemy. And bro, I started praying. I was like, the devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. You know, God, you know, you know, we, you know, we're, we're so conditioned to believe that the call of God eliminates you from all trouble. Yeah. And I'll say that the honest truth is the call of God puts you in trouble's way. Mm. Like it's, it's honestly the worst thing that could happen to you, man. It's like David on the backside of the mountain, watching the father's sheep has a simple life yeah. until he's covered with oil. Yeah. You got one. Now his life ain't simple no more, bro. <laughs> now here comes lions, bears, giants, his own king. 
all because of the oil. Yeah. All because of the oil. And That's so, good stuff right there. You know, like I, I, I walked in this season of oil, man, and it was like, man, this is the most frustrating time of my life. And I preach a message called uh, the anointing of frustration. And, and, and what I talk about is the first anointing on your life. The first call on your life will always be the most frustrating thing that ever happens to you as a human. Because it's that first anointing that there's going to be a season of waiting. There's going to be seasons of process. You know, that, that first anointing that you get, that first word from the Lord is like, it just opens you up for all kinds of attacks and self-sabotage as well. Not just the enemy, but also yourself talking yeah. in and talking yourself out. And, and the whole Iraq thing, bro, blew my mind. I was like, God, you're not going to do this. And then the Lord was like, yes, I am. I'm doing this. And so I'll be honest with you, man. I had like this spirit on me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Iraq. I'm going to save everybody. I'm going to baptize people in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to have a revival. I'm going to preach over there. I'm going to have a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to baptize Saddam Hussein because we right. probably, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, going to get lemons. We ain't going to just have lemonade. We're going to have lemon meringue. Oh, come on, We're going to have lemon exactly, zest, exactly. lemon pepper. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt, man. I'm like, God, this is your, this is your season. You, you, you know, you're, you setting me up. I'm gonna go over here and develop my ministry. And man, six months in, I had been shot at, bombed, you know, all kinds of stuff, man. And I had seen death and no one wanted to talk about Jesus. You know, um, you know, the first couple of Sundays there, the, the chaplain had asked me to lead worship, you know, with my, you know, just me and my guitar. We had nothing. I mean, we weren't on a big camp. We were on the, in the middle of nowhere on, um, you know, secluded camp. And bro, we went, we went into that had never seen Americans before. Like that's how far I was away from like the Baghdads and the Tikrits and the big, the Mosuls, like the big camps. And, uh, man, we were just we're out there kind of alone, man. It was, it was bananas. And I, um, I, you know, one day I had just had a prayer meet, man. And I, and I really got honest with God and bro, I, I'm not gonna lie, man. I, I was, I was angry. And I, and I said, you know, and I begin to scream at God and I begin to ask why. And bro, here's the deal. We are taught, and, and this is part of my message in the book I'm developing right now on the, on the prayers of Gethsemane, finding Gethsemane is we have been so conditioned to never ask God why, but the problem is that that's not biblical. You know, there's no, there's nothing in the Bible that says don't ask God why, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, he is sovereign. He is mighty. He is holy. He is just, he'll do whatever he wants to do, but he's also a big boy that can handle the hard questions. Yeah. You know, God, God is not fragile, you know, Real talk. and we reverence him. We reverence him. Absolutely. We reverence him and respect him, but he's not fragile. He's not like us. You know, he's not going to get offended at a tough question. Yeah. And man, I had this meeting with God and bro, I went, I went off. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the, you know, my, 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 you know, cause my, my firstborn child, Courtney was only two weeks old when I got, um, orders. Oh, and when I finally left to go to Iraq, she was, she was only six months old and I missed the whole first year and a half of her life, bro. I missed first words. I missed first steps. I missed her first birthday, you know, and bro, I was broken. And I was like, God, why am I here? Why are you doing this to me? And I was like, Lord, show me who I'm here for. You know, show me who I'm here to reach. Like, show me, show me my purpose. Show me. And I was like really angry. And man, God, God spoke to me and he said, you. And, and I, and I stopped praying and I was like, 
No, nah, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. You know, that, you know, that wasn't God. That was me. That was me. I, I, I you know, that, that wasn't God. And so I, I, I kept praying. I was like, Lord, you got to show me, you know, I'm not, you know, you, I feel like you've, you've left me here alone. You know, you called me to evangelize. You called me to go. And like, is this it? Is this, is, is this, is this what you got from me? Like, I'm going to die out here. Like, this is crazy. Mm. And the Lord said, you're here for you. <laughs> and so, and so I just shut up. I shut up for a minute and I was just like, all right, Lord, explain it to me. Like, like, let me see it. Let me see it. And the Lord was like, I want to use you, but I can't use you like this. You know, I, I can't, you, I want to do something unique with you, Court, and I can't use you in the way that you're, you are right now. I need you to develop yourself. I need you to develop your own thing with me. Stop. Here's what the Lord told me in, in that moment. He told me to stop looking so far ahead and focus on right now. And bro, it crushed me because it was right. Yeah. And I was, you know, here's the deal. I'm going to say something right now. And somebody needs to write this down. Yeah. I was so focused on the, I was so focused on the, on the mission that I had forgot about the ministry. And I was so focused on the calling that I had, I had not thought about the caller. I wanted a relationship with, you know, people and the ministry and, you know, the movement and the kingdom. But I, I was so far off, man. I, I didn't want to have a relationship with the king, wow. you know? And when the Lord called me to evangelize, I didn't see it because, you know, you always, you, 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 you it's hard to be, you know, introspective. But when the Lord called me to evangelize, man, I immediately started just focusing on, you know, like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Blase, blase. And man, I, my focus was way off. And I said, and I, and I, and I agreed, you know, I, in that moment, that, that prayer meeting, I said, Lord, I see it. I see it. You know, you're right. I'm arrogant. I'm caught up in myself. Yeah. You know, and I need to slow down. I need to slow down. And so, man, for the next six months being in Iraq, man, I just kind of focused on the Lord. You know, I, I stopped reading my Bible to find messages. I started reading my Bible to find him. You know, I, you know, I just like, you know, Lord, I want to know you. And I, and I was like, and, and, and two, like something shifted in my spirit that day. And I really didn't care about ministry anymore. I was like, well, I just want to do what you want me to do. Like, yeah. you know, I, I was so hungry for something that would, that would never fill me up. And I, and I, I didn't know that I was blinded by it. You know, I was blinded by the glitz and the glamor and I just couldn't see, I couldn't see what the Lord wanted to do with me. And here's the deal. Even now, man, you know, I'll talk to people and, you know, they'll be like, you know, man, brother Chavis, you know, like, it just seems like you're not a typical minister. Like, you know, I see you up there preaching or whatever. And then like, um, you know, I see you on the big stage, but then like, I talk to you like, you're so cool. Like you're so down to earth. Like you'll talk to anybody, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to go for that, but like, it's a big thing in our movement, man. When people get positioned, they just change. It's just, it's true, man. <laughs> you know, that things, th things shift people. Tell us what you but, really think, man. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I have been friends with people in, you know, in, in this movement and I'm like, I'm court. Hey, what's up court? What's up, man? I love you, bro. And then when they get positioned, I turn into buddy. Hey buddy. Friend. <laughs> yeah. Hey, friend. Hey, buddy. What's up, man? And it's like, you ain't got time for me no more, whatever. 
But, but when people are like, man, but the you're really not like that. You know, you're cool, kind of down to earth, like you're real approachable, whatever. They don't understand this prayer meeting that I had with God that changed my life forever. Yeah. You know, this moment where God showed me the arrogance that lived in my own spirit that I, <laughs> that I was denying. And I made a commitment to the Lord that day that I would just be me and I would follow his will. And bro, when I came home, I fell at my father's feet and I apologized. I said, dad, I'm, I'm sorry. I keep bugging you about this stuff. I keep bugging you about going. I keep bugging you about, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going nowhere, dad. I'm going to be right here. Leading worship at true chapel. I mean, I mean, at, at spring, Lake, I'll be right here. I was like, and if the Lord opens the door, he opens the door. But if he don't, he don't, I'm cool. I'm, I'm happy to be alive. And like, I see how foolish I was in the past, you know, and, and here's the deal. I was submitted in my actions, Brother Rima, but I was not submitted in my spirit. And there's a How about that? Like my actions are like, okay, I'll do everything you ask me to do. But my spirit, man, I was just like not submitted. Man, my, you know, my spirit, man, was just like holding me back. You know, I, I, I never said that out loud, but yeah. I said it in my spirit. You know, why you hold me back? Why don't you let me go? You know, you're afraid. You're afraid to lose me. You don't think I can make it. You know, all this stuff I had going on on the inside. And I thought I was good because my actions said another word. But the problem is, is that the Lord sees the inside of man. Mm-hmm. And he knew that spirit was in me. And he was not going to let me go until that spirit changed. So I came home, man, for a solid year after Iraq. I just sat at the house and just did what my pastor asked me to do worked in the church, you know, developed some stuff in the music program, you know, put some people in places, you know, just, just working, man, just doing what the Lord said. And then one day my dad was like, Hey, you know, these people want you to come and preach. You know, what do you think about that? And I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't really care. You know, it's fine. You know, whatever you want to do. And, uh, my job had called and, and they had closed the doors and they were, and they were like, you know, giving me a severance and they were like, Hey, you know, we're, we're done. You know, we're, our company's closing and you need to find a new job. And, it was like all the things fell into place for me. So I went out and preached, man. And then like, that's, that's it. That's history, bro. I, I went and preached a, a two week revival in Southern Illinois, mm-hmm. right in your state, Southern Illinois. I preached my first revival in Southern Illinois. And bro, that was it, man. That was it. I was done, bro. It, phone calls coming in. People heard I was out, you know, people calling my dad and man, that's history, bro. And then of course, you know, like, they started using me at general conference and I, and I never asked for that kind of stuff, man. You know, they, they, you know, people were calling me, Hey, can you come lead worship at Virginia district youth camp? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know? And, and then like the doors just kept opening, kept opening, kept opening. And it was like, the Lord was like, see, my timing is righteous. Like, if, yeah. like, like if you just wait and if you have the right spirit and the right attitude, I'll release you into ministry, but you got to have the right spirit. You know, yes, your spirit ain't right. And man, you know, if you, it, here's the problem. If you try to kick open a door, the Lord will let you. How about and that? That's scary. That is very scary. If you try to pick a lock, if you try to pick a lock, the Lord will let you. And that's scary. Mm. Because if you open the wrong door, man, how are you going to find your way back? How are you going to get back to where God wanted you to be? You know, the Lord will let you open the wrong door. He absolutely will. And man, you know, the, the doors begin to open in my ministry, man. And I walked through them. I was submitted to my father, which was a blessing, man. Cause people asked me to, Hey, come take this church, come take that church. But my dad was like, no, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, which was a blessing, 
you know, I got offered jobs at churches, whatever. My dad was like, no, you're not doing that, man. And I'm such a blessing. I, you know, at the time, you know, looked good, but man, it was, it was, it was what the Lord wanted me to do. And then, man, when I, when I felt the call to come to Atlanta and I sat down with my dad, man, my dad was like, absolutely, let's go. You know, I'm, I'm behind you. Let's make it happen. And bro, when you got, when you talk to a man of God who is consistently telling you no, mm. when he finally says yes, you feel it in the, you feel it in the Holy Ghost, bro. Yeah. You know, it's real. Here's the deal. So many of young people today and young ministry, you, you haven't heard no enough to appreciate a yes. Boom. How about it, man? That is so powerful. That is so powerful. Yeah. You need to, you need a good, healthy dose of no's so that when a yes comes, you're like, Amen. That, yeah. that's the will of God. Yeah. You can agree with it in the spirit Amen. because you know, it, it had to be God for this. Yes. to come. <laughs> it, it had to be, man. Yeah. It had wow. to be. And bro, when my, when my, when my pastor, my Bishop said, yes, I felt like I knew there was going to be revival in Loganville. I knew there was going to be revival at Troop Chapel because I had the, I had the covering and the umbrella of my man of God. Yeah. And I just knew it. There was no doubt in my mind, but when I came here, I had no fear of failure, zero fear of failure. Because because yeah. I had the backing of my pastor and my bishop, you know, and so it was. I just you know, there's a there is a comfort in that Absolutely. that you can't get from anywhere else. You can't get that from anywhere else. Absolutely, absolutely, man. So let's talk about Truth Chapel, man. You you evangelized for several years, and then the Lord kind of spoke to you about Loganville, Georgia, uh, Atlanta area. Uh, what what was that process and getting started and to where you are today? Um, yeah. Man, you know, um, give us some highlights of that journey. Honestly, man, the Lord started dealing with me about starting a church. Uh, you know, uh, my prayer was all through my evangelistic career, which is about six years of full-time evangelism. Um, my prayer was, Lord, when you shift my ministry, let me know. You know, like, I want to know it. I want to know it, like, clear. You know, I don't want to guess. Um, and I woke up one day, man, and I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to go get on a plane. I didn't want to, you know, evangelize anymore. It was like a, it was like a crazy moment for me. And then I, you know, began to pray about it. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, this is real. Like, you know, you got to talk to Amanda because she's a home girl, never been away from home. She ain't leaving North Carolina, you know, and, and you know, that family down there, uh, brother Remy, you know, you know that, you know, you, you preach in those areas and you know, like, you know, it's a home place, man. Like, yeah, sir. We, you know, we had land, had a beautiful home, all that kind of stuff. And man, you know, about six months into that process, Amanda came to me and she was like, Hey, do you think that we're going to live here forever? And I said, I don't, I don't know. We got a good land. We got a good home. You know, I don't know. She was like, no, no, no. I mean, do you think we'll live in North Carolina forever? And I was like, what are you, what are you thinking? She was like, I don't know. She said, I just feel like the Lord might, might want us to start a church. And then I was like, okay, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, here it is. And she started crying. She's like, she was like, no, 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 no. She's like, I thought it may just been me. Now I know it's God, you know? And so truth is, man, is that Atlanta was not our first deal. Like, you know, like we, we really thought about San Antonio first because we really San Antonio. Yeah, man. And there's, you know, and there's not enough churches in San Antonio. And so we kind of, Played a little bit, man. I think at the end of the day with us praying about San Antonio, man, it was just kind of too far away from family, you know? And she was like, you know what? I don't mind leaving. She's like, I don't want to be like 16 hours away. Like, you know, I, I want to be able to like get in the car and drive home, you know, if I need to, whatever. And I was like, okay. 
And then the second choice for us was Charleston, South Carolina, because we both love Charleston and Charleston these churches. And, uh, but a friend of mine, a guy, I'm not gonna call his name, but a guy, you know, well, he was scheduled to go to Charleston and I called him and I asked him, I said, Hey man, are you going to Charleston? He said, absolutely. And I said, all right, this, I kind of wiped it off the plan for us, but here's the deal. He never went. He took, wow. a church, he took a church in another city, a church called him. And, uh, and you know, it was, it was the will of God for him to do that. But what it did for me is it took Charleston off my map. And of course, Atlanta was on the map as well. And so, man, just some things fell into place with Atlanta, bro. It just like God opened up some tremendous doors. So when I told my dad, because when I first told my dad that I want to start a church, he, he didn't care where we went. He didn't care. And so I, I, when I told him Atlanta, he was like, man, that'd be good. You know, you only be like six hours away from family. He said, you know, I think, and he said, man, Atlanta's a great place. You know, like it needs churches big time. And so, you know, when I came to Georgia and started asking around, man, you know, just getting fillers out, man, you know, people were real, you know, open to that idea. And um, so, man, Loganville was random, bro. I just drove through Loganville one day. You know, we were, me and my family were driving around looking at cities, bro. And we drove through um, Loganville and my wife said, man, what do you think about this place? I was like, I don't know. I kind of like it. You know, the, the feel, the, you know, and it was, bro, I'm telling you, man, it was random. It, it, It wasn't something that was in the plans. It was just like, you know, we're kind of filling after, filling after the Lord, you know, we're filling after God and, and we felt God here. Yeah. Hey, let, let's do this. And, um, so, so that's the process of, of how we ended up in Loganville, man. And now, man, it's bro. It could not every day. God confirms in me in some way that Loganville yeah, is the right. This church. is it. You know, it's just, it's, yeah, this is it, man. It's just what God is doing here. What God has done here is uh, baffling. Yeah, yeah. For, for me, maybe for somebody else to be like, oh, man, it's good. But for me, it's just baffling. Yeah. You know, like I told I told my wife, I said, you know what? In, in five years, if we're running between 100 and 150, you know, I'll be good. Well, man, our five year mark, we're running 350 solid. Oh, Lord, have mercy. How you about know? that? And, that and, and we were already in another building, you know, and, yeah. and starting to have two services because we couldn't fit the people in the room. And now eight years and we're eight years in now, um, you know, right before COVID, I mean, we were running 500, you know, mm. pretty solid, you know, pretty solid. And it's just, you know, we got, we bought 35 acres of land a couple years ago, paid it off. And, and now we just purchased another piece of property here in, in, in here locally, um, that has eight acres, two buildings, a ball field, um, just, just an amazing piece of property. And, you know, this would be the first building that we owned because we've leased for eight years. buildings, And you know all about that, man. You know, the leasing process is just crazy. You can get a lot more for buying something. Yeah. Absolutely. Commitment. Jumping in there. Man, we, uh, I remember my wife and I um, experiencing some of the uh, first stages of Truth Chapel and uh, the first building that you leased. Yeah, yeah. The, the red chairs, man. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. It, it was it was awesome. The the upper room with the youth the youth uh, area, and oh, yeah. uh, man, and you guys were remodeling that uh, in in the process of continuing yeah. to remodel that. And then yeah, you, uh, were, you were here preaching uh, the night that one of our main worship leaders, uh, Jamie Morrow, got the Holy Ghost. You, you you were preaching that 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 Wednesday night, man. She got the Holy Ghost, and now oh she's wow. Like, and and now she's like one of our uh, worship leaders, man. She's, wow! How about that? Yeah, <laughs> man. 
man, that, that, you got some history to come true, Campbell, man. Yeah, that's that's an honor to be a part of that. And uh, we kind of watched from afar, but also visiting from time to time, saw the second stage of the facility. Uh, I believe you're probably still in that facility now where you've had to go to multiple services in that building. And just beautiful, beautiful facilities. And and uh, and and just God's just opening up some awesome doors for True Chapel and the people that's on board helping to make uh, helping to move the the mission along. And uh, man, you guys are you guys purchased the property, and uh, I believe you said you purchased the second property because that first property you would have had to build from scratch, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. It, yeah. It was kind of a deal where um, it just fell into our laps. Like we built, we, we bought the property, we paid it off. That was our whole game plan, man, to build a big building there. Um, you know, and we were kind of thinking like, you know, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to, you know, we, we need to build big, but then man, you're talking about like six, $7 million, eight million, 10 million, maybe, you know, like it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big you know deal and we're going to have to wait 10 years. Can we stay in this building for that long? Like, you know, what are we going to do? Like we're having all these questions. And then a buddy of mine called me and said, Hey, do you know where Covenant Christian school is? I was like, yeah, I, I drive by there all the time. He was like, they are closing and they're, and they, and they need to sell and they need to sell right now. And I was like, well, man, let me come look at it. So I went and looked at it. I looked up how it was, you know, like how much it was online as far as like tax value and stuff. And then when they, when they told me how much they wanted for it, man, it was like, you know, walking yeah. in the door, like $2 million equity. And yeah. I was like, it was, it was almost like a no brainer. No brainer. And, and the building there is going to seat like six fifty easy. Yeah. You know? And, and I was just like, you know, and then of course there's opportunity to grow, maybe a school in the future. There, there's so much there. And yeah. I was like, and two, you know, if we are in it for maybe five to 10 years and then we turn around and sell it, we're going to make a ton of money off of it as well. You know, so it's like a, it's a good investment as well. Absolutely. Not just being a, being a good opportunity to have church there. And so, man, we, when we looked at all of it, it was just like, God, you're so good. And then we went to the bank and the bank was like, well, you know, it's a big property. You guys haven't been in a church for 10 years yet. You know, and I don't know if you know this, but banks. If you ain't been to church for 10 years, man, they, they don't, they don't hardly want to talk to you. Yeah. And, you know, we we're like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, we can, you know, we'll talk about it, you know? So we kind of went back and forth with the bank. And then when the bank saw the equity, they were like, man, let's make this deal right yeah. now. So, I mean, if you guys miracle, don't make man. it happen, we still come yeah. out on top. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we might buy this ourselves. <laughs> it, it, it was such a miracle how everything played out. Like, the bank was kind of him hawing around. And then when they saw the, the, the value of the property, because they did a, they did their own um, assessment. Yeah. They saw the value of the property. They, they closed us in 10 days, bro. Like unheard. Whoa, unheard. unheard of. You're talking about 45, 60 day process. They were like, no, let's do it now. And man, it was just like the doors opened tremendously. The church is fired up about it, you know, because there's half of, there's people in our church that haven't met other people in our church because they're nine o'clock people and they haven't met 1130 people yet. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So like, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the concept of us all being back in the room, you know, for at least a season is like, man, our church is just, they're, they're fired up, man. And, you know, um, God's just blessing on some tremendous levels, but I'll say this Rima, you know, to those that are listening as well, man, it's not just here at truth chapel, bro. There is a season right now, even in the middle of this pandemic, man, the kingdom of God yeah. is 
it has favor right now. And I know people are scared, you know, and they talk about, you know, they're going to take away this, they're going to take away that, they're going to try to shut the churches down. And look, man, that's all of that is stuff that we need to pray about. And I'm not saying that it's not real. I'm not saying that it's not legitimate. I'm just saying that I'm not going to live in that fear, bro. No. Like this is, this is the best season for the church. This is yes, the best sir. season. Like God is opening doors everywhere. I, I keep getting, you know, people saying, man, look, you know, they gave us this church. We had a guy here in, um, in Georgia, uh, up up towards one of our lakes, man, in a really nice town, like found this church, bro. They sold in this church for like hardly nothing, bro. And, you know, the community of the community of churches here in Georgia got together, man, we all gave and they were able to buy this church for like pennies on the dollar. And that's like, that's like a whole church. It's like, yeah. it's like, a, it's, it's like a whole thing, like no building, no, you know, I mean, go and paint the walls and, and let's have church. Like that's it. Yeah. And, you know, that's that kind of stuff's happening all over America right now. And even other countries, like it's not just truth chapel, man. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for here, bro, but I'm more excited about the kingdom of God as a whole. And I believe it's going to happen for you guys there in Chicago, man. God's going to open doors, you know, you know, when that season is right for you guys to jump in both feet, you know, I know you're still there, like, you know, doing stuff here and there and getting stuff ready, man. But I believe that for you too, as well, man, Chicago needs it probably, probably more than any city in, in the, in the world right now. And I, 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 you know, I speak that prophetically over you guys as well, man, that when that season's right, this is going to be like, man, so much favor, God opening doors, because no matter what the enemy is doing, God is doing more. Amen. You know, and, 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 uh, the, my biblical reference for that is where sin did abound. Grace did much more abound. Much more. You know, when the enemy's working, God is working harder. And, yeah. and the, the, the devil and the, the, the spirit of the antichrist that is already in the earth that we're seeing play out on the news right now, it will never do more than God is doing. Like yeah. it will not outwork our God. They're working hard, but man, God's working harder. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are missing it right now because they're just walking in fear because they're like, Oh, this happened. That's happening. You know, Trump, Biden, COVID, well, whatever it may be, you know, Democrats, liberals, you know, Republicans and all this stuff, man, it's just, to me, it's just a big distraction. And behind the scenes, God is working over time. Yes, get sir. in, get in, get in, get in, get in. This is the best season to be in. Just get in, jump in both feet. And, you know, of course, man, it's been stressful. Absolutely. It's been, you know, it's been a kick in the rear, bro. There's it's no, it's no doubt about it. But at the same time, man, our church has grown. Our, our giving is amazing. Yeah. You know, like, like, God has done so many things in this season that, you know, it's like God is reminding us of, Hey, 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 calm down. I am still on the throne. Nothing has changed, bro. Incredible. Incredible. Man, I saw online the other day that, um, you guys are making a, uh, uh, not a capital campaign, but a push to getting some support for um, your church remodel and anybody that's listening to this right now, you need to get in on that. This is good ground. If you want to uh, sow into a thriving ministry, uh, this is good ground. I mean, the, the proof is there that God has been doing some incredible things and opening great doors, changing lives, restoring people. And uh, you want to be a part of uh, this man's vision and, and this ministry. Uh, where, how, how can we be a part of that? Is it on social yeah. media? Is there a website can, we can go to? Yeah, man. The easiest way is uh, just find me on Instagram. This is my name, Court Chavis. That's C-O-R-T-T-C-H-A-V-I-S. And 
on my Instagram, like my bio, you'll see join our story and just click that, that link. And then, and what we're doing, we're just asking everybody for $25 before December 25th, 25 on 25 on 25. And, um, so, you know, it's, you know, we're not asking, you know, if you can give more, give more, if you can't give that much to give less, that's fine. Just give. And then we're doing something cool too. We have like a, a big mural that this guy made for us here at our church and every person who gives, we're writing their name on the mural. And uh, we already have like one of the big symbols already filled up. Um, and we're going to, I'm going to be post, posting a video about that this week, but man, yeah, join our story and, and get involved. It's, you know, like, like, like Pastor Rima just said, it, it is, it is good ground. You know, this is good ground, you know, and, and, and we've never really done anything like this, uh, as true chapel, like reach out to our followers and reach out to people who are connected to us and said, Hey, you know, help us. Um, but at the same time, man, we got, we got a big project to do and, you know, we're trying not to go into this project, you know, covered up in debt and, um, you know, strapped as far as our, you know, you know what we have. And so I, I asked our, our men's department to uh, do a, a fundraiser and I, they did. I asked our women's department to do a fundraiser. They did our youth and our kids departments to do fundraisers and they're doing those. And then a, a lady in my church was like, pastor, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I, I was like, I was like, you know what? That's a good question. And I was like, you're, you're absolutely right. I said, I'm going to do something. And so basically this is my fundraiser for the church is reaching out to my followers. I've never done anything like this before. Just reaching out to all my followers and saying, Hey, you have followed our story and we thank you for that. It's been amazing to have you along for the journey. But now, you know, will you join our story instead of just following our story, join our story. And it's been a blessing, man. People have given in one week, we raised over 7,000. Wow. And, uh, and so, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to double that if we can, or maybe even more, it'd be awesome. Um, and of course too, you know, if you give and we write your name, you know, whenever you do come to visit true chapel, you'll see this hanging up and you can just come and find your name and, you know, and it'll be something that we keep in our, in our um, church forever. Incredible. Incredible. Well, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And uh, again, um, if you want to be a part of that, you can find uh, Pastor Court Chavis on Instagram at Court Chavis and uh, click that link. Join their story. Some of you can give $25. Some of you can give $2,500. Um, there may be somebody listening to this that you may be a, a entrepreneur or a business owner. You can give $25,000. And uh, we, we, we encourage you to be a part of this uh, journey with this family, that ministry there in Atlanta. And uh, again, um, if, if there's some things that re that really touched you and, um, some things that really impacted you, uh, what he was saying about his journey. I, I encourage you to take a pen and pad, uh, start this over, jot down some things. And, and there's some gold nuggets here that you can live by and that can help you along your, your journey. I know it has helped, uh, to clarify some things, uh, for mine. Again, thank you so much, Pastor Chavis for being on real talk today. For everybody listening. You know, I hope I said something today that helped you. And uh, I, I pray blessings over you and favor over you in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you for listening and tuning in today. Help me to get the word out about this content. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Pastor Rima. And why don't you go ahead and follow and subscribe these podcasts so that you can be notified when we upload fresh content. God bless you and keep it real.